Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, people, everyone's complaining on Facebook about pumpkin spice and pumpkin this. And you know what? It really doesn't bother me because it's it's the fall. I mean, I know in L.A., I talked about it earlier. It doesn't seem like the fall. But one of the best things I remember as a kid growing up in New Jersey is at the Halloween time, we always had those ginger snaps. I don't know what they were like in an orange box. I just remember as a kid, I knew it was fall and it was in the midst of football season because my mom would bring home a box and you dip them in the water and I actually, I mean, dip them in the milk and the pumpkins though, I mean, pumpkins have gone a lot further. I mean, Joanne brought some pumpkin tortilla chips home yesterday, which I don't know if I'm, I don't know how they're going to taste, but I did. I honestly, I'm one of those suckers for the pumpkin stuff even though i'm not a huge pumpkin fan but as it sprouts and i'm leaving and i saw these pumpkin spice cookies it was like a dollar 99 for a bag and i said you know what i gotta get them and i'm gonna tell you something people they're damn good they have a little kick to them and so i think you know now i may have to get a pumpkin beer but uh I have no problem with the pumpkin. People have to be nicer to the pumpkin. And my guest today, we'll find out if he has a problem with the pumpkin. My guest is Jay Morrison. How you doing, James Morrison? Hey, hi. Do you like to go JP, Jim, James? Uh, you can call me James. Okay, because your, your website's JP Morrison. Right. Which is a very cool website. I went on it. Oh, thanks. And it's got a lot of good stuff because it breaks it down. It breaks you know, your music down and your acting. And, and I look at your biography. But now, before we talk about you. You're going to ask me about pumpkins. Do you like the pumpkin stuff? You know, I got to tell you. I think the pumpkin chips are going to have a more than a kick. I think you ought to stay away from those. Do you really? Well, yeah. I mean, that'd be my advice. All right. I'm not going to try. I'm going to say, Joanne, <laughs> I can't have the pumpkin chips. Well, you know, no, you know what? <laughs> Go ahead and try one. All right. But don't say I didn't warn you. Okay. <laughs> I got you, you have a really interesting upbringing for being in the career you're in. I Do mean, I? I mean, well, you were born in Utah. Born in Salt Lake City, yeah. yeah. And then you moved to Alaska. When I was nine. Okay, now was was your uh how why did you how did you end up in Alaska? My dad, uh, my mom and dad were divorced. Okay. When I was three, I think three or four, and uh, my dad uh, got sober and went to Alaska to work. Uh, he was an office manager. Went to Alaska to work on the uh, the first road to Fairbanks, uh, right after it became a state, 1963, 62. Now, now, what's that like? I mean, growing up, because you hear, you know, you, you know, we don't really have a concept of Alaska. I know a friend who went out there for uh, a week a while ago to fish, and he said it was great. Mm-hmm. But now, as a kid, what's it like? I mean, because doesn't it get dark like six months, or is that is that all fit? Well, it depends where you are. Okay, it's Anchorage is about the same latitude as uh, I don't know Edinburgh, maybe. Okay, so maybe a little higher. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So yeah, in Anchorage it's uh, it's it's light during the summer till midnight. We played all night long in the summer, and uh, parents loved it. Yeah, you're out. Yeah, and then it, and, you know in the wintertime, of course, you're walking to school in the dark, coming home in the dark. So when when I was walking to elementary school, we'd meet moose in the dark on the on the trail, and you know you have to navigate that sort of stuff. But yeah, fishing is great. I I loved to do that stuff when I was a kid. Now as a kid, you know you're fishing, you're in Alaska, and you're away from LA you're away from you know the main the acting how did you get into acting was it from TV I mean and because you're a musician too how did you start to follow the arts I mean did you start at a young age I did well I you know I didn't know that I had an interest in it until it, it revealed itself and then I look back and you go oh that's where it started but it it, it started uh, probably in third grade um, I wanted to be a tap dancer because I would watch with my parents I would watch um, Lawrence Welk, okay. and and watch uh, the Bobby and Susie or whatever their names were. Right. You know the the tap dancing yeah. couple. And I said, you know, I think I want to do that. So my mom, who and they were, my parents were very supportive. Um, my parents were were separated at this time, but she she said, yeah, okay, we'll take some tap lessons. But then I look back on that, I didn't continue them because I got distracted, but by the move and everything else. But my parents got back together. Okay. Well, I didn't finish that story, but so. And they were together until they, they passed. But, um, you know, I, I guess in high school, I started to become involved with acting, was influenced by people I saw, uh, you know, in the movies, as we all have been, and uh, served an apprenticeship with the Alaska Repertory Theater uh, after some college there. And then, it, you know, that took me further into it. Now, what was the apprenticeship? I and mean, was it a big? Is is was it Alaska? Was it a big theater? I mean, oh yeah. Was, and so, is there a lot of like what kind of what kind of plays? What what shows were you doing? Were you doing all kinds musical yeah, comedy? Yeah, musical comedy. That a great training program. Actually, it was uh, during the Carter years. 
and they had a uh, a program called CETA. I think it was the Comprehensive Employment Training Act, and they would give uh, money to um, organizations, nonprofit organizations, for training, and they paid us like two hundred fifty dollars a week. Uh, there were eight of us to to have this professional training in this theater for two years, and we did everything. Man, we straightened nails, we swept the floors, we built the sets, we took down the sets, we acted in small parts in the shows, had uh, classes with the actors that would come in. It was it was pretty good training. And the theater, uh, this was '78, had a three million dollar a year budget. Okay, because Alaska was very oil rich state, so they had a lot of money to put into the arts. That all ended. Uh, Man, after I left, but they decided for some unknown reason, who knows why, they decided to to, to defund or, or unfund the arts. But somebody got an office that said, eh, we don't need that stuff. That's so irritating. That happens, you know, like, I mean, my high school where I grew up, I wasn't in the theater department, but I look back and I've talked to people, our theater department was, was excellent and it still, it still thrives. And I really hate when they defund that stuff because it's so important and just in the fact that it's, it's culture, and like now it seems like there's this culture has really disappeared somewhat, like because everyone's watching YouTube and stuff like that. But it's like it was culture. As they take away from that, the kids don't get that opportunity to. It's a it's a release. It's an outlet too. Well, and they also don't understand that, especially music. Take music as an example. What that that music training does to a child's brain. And and uh, not not just to mention what it what it does to their future in terms of you know, having an instrument to play and, and an outlet, a creative outlet. But I mean, mu- the language of music changes the brain. As we all know, being l- lovers of music, listening right. to it, but learning it, learning how to read music, learning how to play an instrument. Uh, and and I, th- I think, you know, I, th- I just think it's a lack of education on, on the part of the legislators too. That's true. Now, when did you start learning music? I, I uh, in high school, you know, okay. I mean, when, you know, when I was 10 years old and I saw the Beatles on Ed right. Sullivan, it changed everybody's life. Uh, no matter how you felt about the the music, and there were there was a generation of us who just said, "Wow, that's what I want to do." So, but I I put the guitar down for about 20 years um, for some uh, some reason. I'm not really sure why. That happens at times. Yeah. You sit there and you go in and out of, you know, a certain, if you, if you it's something where you're sitting there going, okay, I'm not going to be a rock star. You sit there and go, and you, for you, you pursued acting. You sit there going, you know, you, yeah. you sit there and go, well, because to be, I mean, I have friends who are guitarists and I've had some like drummers on my show who are in bands and they, these guys have been playing forever. And it's, it's so much dedication because you have yeah. to be so good. And it's not like you can pick up a guitar and then, you know, it takes a lot of you practice. Have, yeah, it takes discipline. I had a friend who was a wonderful actor who I met in Alaska in, in a musical, actually. Uh, played the mandolin, guitar, and, and quit acting. In fact, he graduated from uh, Princeton, it went, you know, in the theater department. Just, and I asked him why he quit acting. And he said, you know, I couldn't figure out how to practice my scales as an actor like I could a musician. So I think what happened was I found a way to practice my scales as an actor and didn't have the discipline to practice them as a musician, so I focused more on that. And, and I started writing, too. Now, now, when you were in Alaska, and when you got out of your, your studying, now, I, I read your background. You traveled for a while? You traveled different areas? I lived in New York for a while when I was 21, for a year. Um, traveled with a circus. How did you get into that? That's that's just amazing me because I was reading your thing, and it says yeah. you were a wire walker. Now, now, now that's like a tightrope walker. A low wire. Okay, yeah. low wire. But yeah. it's still, how did you, I mean, you, you was it just something that, what made you sit there and everyone says, oh, he's going to run away and join the circus. You, you actually did. I mean, how did I you did, come to yeah. that conclusion? How did you come to that? Well, I was influenced uh, early on by uh, the clowns, the, the film, the clowns, uh, W.C. Fields and, and Buster Keaton and, and Charlie Chaplin. And, I, and, and, you know, their background was... Uh, vaudeville and 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 that era so i just thought uh you know i don't know i just wanted to and i did a, a production of godspell so i said ah oh, yeah i'll explore this i'll explore clowning you know and uh i don't know i ended up meeting somebody who was in a circus in salt lake city and he said i've got this connection and i have the the wire and let's learn how to do some you know 
clown turns, and so we became a team and went to this mud show that travels through the South. It was insane. It was. Yeah. It really was insane. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking it's like, I mean, what was what were your, like, sleeping quarters like? I mean, it was just... Oh, it was terrible. It was, I mean, like... But didn't you oh, get, it was a trailer that was as big as this room. Not even as big as this room. You know, it was 10, 10 feet long, and one of those trailers that you pull behind your truck with the, and had a hole in the floor, and we had board over it, and... And, and, and horrible living conditions in the circus. I mean, 80 bucks a week and, and you know, beans three times a day and, you know, terrible uh, people. Uh, the the crew, I mean, the, the, the hands, you know, right. they were on the lamb from the law and they were, and the, you know, <laughs> lovely people. The performers were lovely. They were all from Mexico and I didn't speak Spanish. So that was, there was that. And, excuse me. Um. It was awful, and I ended up hurting myself. I hurt my back, and and so I did the last month I was there. I was, you know, limping around. That's, so how long did you do that? Did you do two years? How long? Oh you, no, no, it was a very short time. It was like four months. Okay, so after that, it seemed like two years. Yeah, just amazing though, because you sit there and you think, no. So after that, and you know, but all the prep. I mean, you know, we did the, the winter quarters in Oklahoma, and and it was just awful. And it's funny because then once you're doing something like that, then you know anything down the road, you're probably going, you know what? My entertainment career has to get better because it's just it was a, it was a nightmare. It was it prepared me for Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> so 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 what do you where do you go after the circus? Do you sit, you know you want to now you're sitting there going okay I'm done doing this I want to do you decide I really want to pursue acting? I mean do you sit well, there and go this is going to be my. Big yeah, I mean I I felt like that was part of my apprenticeship. Okay. And so that's then I went back to home back home to my parents' house to recuperate. I was 21 years old. Okay. And uh, that's when I. So actually, I went to New York after that. So then I decided to, to do the apprenticeship. So it was uh, I was 24 when I did did the apprenticeship. So what made you get to sit there and say, okay, I really want to I really want to take this serious. I got to make my my move now. What did what did you what was your chain of reaction? When I realized that there was no well, you know, I, I had the people just like you do today with kids in in, in school that said, uh, if you can't think of anything else you'd rather do, if you have no passion for anything else but this then do this. And I, I really, and I looked at that hard. I did a lot of other things. I had a lot of other jobs uh, to get by, you know, and uh, nothing made me feel that, that, you know, you have to do what you love. Now, when did you move to LA? 1981. Okay, now, and I know because you, you really had a very fulfilling stage career, but a very fulfilling stage career here. Did you, how long? Weirdly, yeah. It's not, it's, you wouldn't think that about LA, but I, I made my living on the stage here for the first few years. How did that happen? Did you sit there and go, when you got here, you said, okay, I'm going to go out for these plays, or do you sit there and go, I want to act on TV? Or, I mean, and what, what was your well, transition? I had a, my first agent, um, who has passed, <clears throat> excuse me, um, was from the theater. And she said, you're not going to do well until you're in your 40s. This was, I was 27. And you're a wonderful actor, but you're really not going to hit until you're, you're, um, you know, middle-aged. And she sort of had a, she had a good eye. She said, you need to get, you need to build your foundation as an actor. Do all the theater you can. And, um, and don't worry about this other stuff. And, uh, and I didn't. So I I went out of town a lot. I did a lot of regional theater, and and uh, a lot of people hated that because they you know uh, the agents that she was with even so yeah they wanted you getting out there to do yeah yeah, yeah they wanted they they were I went to work at Burt Reynolds Theater in 1985 and I turned down a small part in a terrible sci-fi movie to do it and the agents <clears throat> went insane they thought I was crazy. And, uh, I mean, they literally were swearing at me and, you know, what's the matter with you? Don't you want to have a film? I said, this is nothing. This is a, and I, and I was going to work with Charles Nelson Riley, who ended up being one of the best directors I've ever worked with. Okay. And, and, and Burt Reynolds Theater at the time was doing some pretty amazing work. Well, him and Charles mm-hmm. Nelson Riley and Burt Reynolds were very good friends, right? Oh, oh yeah, they were great friends. And Charles, it's funny because most people know Charles Nelson Riley from Match Game. They don't know that he was, you know, that's just people think. Oh, he was a, right? yeah, he was a Broadway actor. Yeah, and people don't know that. Yeah. So that must be great for you, though, to sit there and go work with someone mm-hmm. who was, was excellent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you sit there, I mean, 
and you're the agents are pissed, but you know, you're like, it's a sci-fi movie. I mean, you know, yeah, it was it, terrible. And so now did you, did you gain a lot working with Burt Rounds? I mean, who were some of the directors? You know, I didn't, you know, I didn't work with Burt. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm Charles. Charles. Oh yeah. I learned a lot. I, I've learned lessons that I use to this day from him. He loved actors so much and, and, and it was just, you know, he was a very influential person to a lot of people. He ran the, the school down there. And so a lot of people came out of that, that apprenticeship down there that, uh, that, that, that are working today, you know. I mean, he influenced a lot of people. Now, was were you, were you ever? In, I know you wanted to build your foundation, and you were listening to your agent. Why did she say you wouldn't make it till you were middle age? I have, you know, I don't know. I think she just felt that I was a character leading man, and at the time, there were, you know, I was reading uh, for roles in in movies that Tom Cruise and and uh, and um, Sean Penn. They were just starting out in the early '80s. And they were younger than I was, and, and, and so I. But I looked really young, so I could read. For, you know, and I wasn't getting them. You know, um, I was from the theater. It took me a while to to learn how to work and you know to switch to make the switch. And it happens with a lot of actors. Um, I just had I, I the way I was indoctrinated. I guess the te- first teachers I had uh, didn't help me in that way. <clears throat> and so until I finally met my my mentor, that I. To, to this day is still one of my closest friends and, and teachers is Harry Master George <clears throat> helped me a lot with that. Now, how did you end up coming upon him? Because a lot of times people say it takes a lot of different teachers. And when you're coming out here, there are, as I always say, you know, you, you know, someone who comes out here, there's so many different teachers and you don't know. I always say, you know, you don't know who teaches what. And I always sit there and go, okay, well, if someone is working yeah. and they teach, then you know what? That's pretty much a good teacher you want. Or if it's someone who you see the people who have studied under him, but then if it's like, some guy has a thing in the back, like back it used to be when they had the drama logo and all that stuff. Yeah. Lots of, I mean, some guy just has something that goes, hey, it's like with comedy. Hey, take this comedy class. And it's like, well, I've never heard of you. Why, why would you, you know, and no one I know has heard of you. How did you find this teacher and why was he so important to you? Uh, yeah, you have to be careful of that. I, I've done that a few times when I was when I was young. I did it in New York. Um, I met, a, I was doing a play at Theater 40 in in, uh, in Beverly Hills and, and uh, with an actress, uh, Annie Hearn, wonderful actress and we became friends and she recommended me to Harry and I went and and, and uh, audited one of his classes and he he spoke to me uh, on a level that nobody else had he he basically just said this is pretend it's a child's game and and um, and that's what I was looking for that's why I, I got into it I mean I I wanted to make believe you know and that's what he encouraged in us so um, I've never Oops, keep heading here. Sorry. Right. Um, he, I've never been, uh, I've never swayed from that. I think that's the most valuable thing you can teach somebody, is to it, it, to find the child in yourself and 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 play, you know. Now, as you're doing a lot of theater, when are you sitting there, and when do you sit there and say, okay, now is my time to try to break over to the other, as they say, the other side, TV and movies, or did you? want to stay in theater or did you sit there and come to a point where you said you know what i want to try that i mean how did that come about well if you if you're going to stay in la you have to it's just it's a practical thing if you want to make a living you you have to make that decision so it wasn't really a uh, you, you know it's not an artistic decision to, to you know decide to be in television because uh, it's just not right you know nothing that you do in television is is as an actor until you get to a certain point. But when you're starting out, you, you know, you don't say, oh, I'm going to do the great roles. Right. You know, you just do. <laughs> you just go, oh, I want to make a living. And, um, and that's true with any actor, you know, starting out. And I think to even, it doesn't matter where you are in your career. You either decide you're going to do anything for money or you decide, you know what, I'm going to forego certain things and, and do things that, that, that feed my soul. And um, that's always a, a thing that we have to grapple with if we have a soul. Right. And if we don't, <laughs> you, you know, that's another <laughs> issue. Yeah. So what were some of your early roles and what were you getting sent out for? I mean, what were, what were they sitting there? Cause you're a good looking guy, you know, you, well, thank you. you. I mean, yeah, but you have that look and you know, and, and you're someone who now, you know, can play across the board. You can play, you know, as I said, you can play a politician, you can play a villain. I mean, you, you have that, that the first look, but when you said you were yeah. younger, you look very young. So that must've been sometimes weird because mentally you're at a different level than other people who are younger than you. I mean, you're going up for a role against someone who's younger, but you look younger, but you're also, your head's much more on straight than that. Yeah, that's not the case anymore. But, but, and early on too, I mean, I, 
I um. Yeah, I won't, I won't go there. I was having some personal problem, and and and, and um. Eh, why not? I was uh, I was I, I got sober back in 1982. I, I quit drinking and using drugs. I had a, for about 15 years. I had I had some problems, okay. and that held me back. I think that 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 sort of arrested my emotional de- development. So I think by the time I got here and I finally went, uh, uh, you know, I was abusing my gift. I realized that, that that's what it was. And I was told that, actually, uh, by someone I trusted. And, I, and I've and heard it. And, and so that sort of screwed my head on straight. But, but back to your question about, um, um, you know, who, who knows why, why actors get work, to work or how they get pigeonholed. But I think f- at a certain point, you have to be able to look at it objectively and look at yourself and what you're going to get, the work you're going to get. And at the time, you know, guys like uh, Costner and those guys were coming up when I was, you know, in, 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 in the early mid-80s. And, and I wasn't going to get those parts. I was going to get the part of their friend or the bad guy in that movie. Right. You know, I wasn't a leading man movie star type, but I was a, I was a character leading man. You know what I mean? And I still am. I mean, I can do the bad guy or the, or the head of CTU on 24 and, and, and you know, that everybody loves and, and, and will do anything for. And then, but at the same time, then come back and, and do a, a villain in, in another thing. And, right. You know, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it, and again, you just have to do what's put in front of you. And, and, and pretty soon a, a career sort of starts to evolve, you know, very rarely um, in, in maybe the 0.5% of actors out there, they can actually mold a career from, from the gate, you know, because I've known guys that turned down roles that made other people stars. And, and so it's just the luck of the draw at the same time. I, you know, I was talking to my manager today. This is a good story. You're talking about how hard it was to get through school. As, I, you know, I was a, something of a delinquent when I was, when I was growing up. I had trouble in school because I, I, was, I was distracted. I was daydreaming. I was an artist, and I didn't know how to, you know, find an outlet for that. He was in school in Oklahoma, and the same thing was going on. And he was flunking uh, science class. And the, the teacher finally said to him, listen, you, gotta, you have to apply yourself to this, uh, or I'm going to have to flunk you. So, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, and he said, 110%, no, no holding back. So uh, he said, we're going to do this uh, field trip. We're going to go out in, into the Oklahoma badlands and, and, and dig up fossils. Because it was a science class. Okay, I'll go, he says. So we got up at 6 a.m. after, you know, being out all night and went on this thing and bored to death. They were looking at dirt. They were picking up rocks, and, and he didn't care. So he said, you know, I need a cigarette. I'm going to go around the corner around that hill and sit and just have a smoke. So and he's I don't know, a sophomore, junior in high school. So he's sitting there smoking, and he picks up a rock and puts his cigarette out on it, and he looks down, and it's, and it, and it's got this fossil in the rock that he's putting his cigarette out in, and, and he went, Oh my God, that's that's a fossil. And he took it to his teacher. It ended up being the oldest fossil of its kind ever found in Oklahoma. It's in a museum to this day. He's got his picture taken with the teacher. The te- made the teacher a star, and and it, and because all because he just showed up, and he. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a you know a moment from Seinfeld, right? <laughs> but but at the same time, you've got to you've got to show up. So I think basically, that's what I'm saying, and it, it speaks to the movie we made too. Uh, you saw that in the in the thing showing up, the documentary. Yeah. Well, that must that must because that's all about the audition process. Yeah, but it's it's uh it's more than that. I mean, we use the we use the audition as an allegory for for showing up for your life, and everybody auditions, you know. Right. Yeah. Well, now, now, how did you decide? Because I, I want to get to twenty four and all that. Yeah. But this movie showing up, you directed that with your with, with your my wife. wife. Yeah. Now, and there, I looked, and there's a lot of you got a lot of talented people. Now, what what made you decide to put that movie together? Because it's something that you've acted a lot. Is that something that you always wanted to direct, or I mean, what? How did how did that come up? And it's called showing up. How did that come about? We we um, my wife and I have made a few short films together, and and uh, they did pretty well on the festival circuit, and and. Uh, Sundance Channel and stuff, but but we wanted to make a a feature length movie, and I had this idea years ago when I was talking to some actors in the green room uh, at the Old Globe in San Diego. We were talking about auditions, and you know everybody's got those stories, audition stories. 
And I thought, wow, what an amazing thing to hear these storytellers talking about how they get work. And some of them are, you know, harrowing and, and I mean, horrible, horrifying and, and inspiring and funny and, you know, can damage you for life. I mean, some of these auditions we go on. And most people don't know how actors get work. But then we decided as we started talking to these people, and they revealed themselves to us. Um, Jack O'Brien and, and B.D. Wong and, and uh, Yule uh, uh, Vasquez and actors like this in New York. They started revealing their, their personal feelings. Steven Spinella told a great story in our, in our thing. We went, wait, this is, this is deeper than we think. This is, people are putting themselves on the line. They're exposing themselves deeper than we ever thought they would. And, and that's what you have to do in an audition. And we forget that. You know, people want to see who you really are. And that, you know, that great line uh, of Chris Rock's, uh, when you, when you, on your first date with somebody, you're not meeting them. You're meeting their representative. Right. And, and, and yet, in an audition process, you have to kick the representative out and, and just say, no, man, I have to show them a piece of myself or, so they can see who I am. Um, and most of them, who knows if they're going to get it. They may think, eh, it's not, not the, it's not the part that I wrote or whatever. But the ones who really count are going to go, man, that, that guy, that, 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 that woman revealed herself to me. I think, I think that's what I want. You know, and it's going to elevate their product, and it, and it, because you elevated yourself to to it, and that's, you know, what my teacher used to say: rise to meet the material. Now, when when you made that movie, how did you did you put a list of people you knew together? I mean, because it's it's you have a lot of people, and it's like yeah. anything. It's like anything. You don't want to get people irritated. They go, why didn't you put in your movie? You know, it's like that thing where you we have did, to watch. That happened. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. it's like anything. Like people say to me, well, why didn't you invite me to be on your show? I'm like. Well, because, you know, you, a lot of comics, I know younger comics, I'm like, well, because, you know, I don't really do comedians anymore. And if they do, they're like the Rich Seidners or the Wendy Liebmans, you know, and it's nothing against you. It's just, I don't, I don't think we could talk for an hour. But like, how did you decide to get the people and how did you approach them? Well, we had friends that, you know, we wanted, we knew we wanted to talk to. And then we had friends that we couldn't get to and that killed us. Um, because you can't talk to everybody and and you're limited by time and, and, and money, but we also had a casting director in New York, Jim uh, uh, Carnahan and Kate Boca, uh, who in New York, you, you know, they just call up actors at home and say, uh, these, friend, these guys are from L.A., they're doing a documentary, they want to talk to you about auditions. Oh, yeah, where can I go? Where do I go? At, at, but in L.A., you can't do that. The, the manager, I mean, there's a, there's a wall between you and the actor, the, the manager or the agent, are, and, and we got this a lot. Well, what is it? What, documentary? There's no click because there's no money in it for them. You know, it's funny you say that because I've noticed, you know, because I hit you up on Facebook and I, yeah. I I hit most of my actors up and I get a lot of, you know, all you, like I always say, the character actors club, I get the guys and they're, they're all great and they're easy to get to, but there's some people that they sit there and if they go, once they say, and, and they're just doing it to, to get their schedule straight up, they say, can you hit up my PR person? PR people are always a pain to get yeah, through yeah. because they're like, well, her part in this is very small. It's like, well, no, she, she just wants to come in. And that's what's funny. But you must have gone through. I mean, you're right. New York. It's just like they probably just call you, call and go. Hey, and they're they're New Yorkers. They don't. They don't. Well, yeah. Don't care. I mean, it's a community. It's like a, a friend calling you up. And and and, and you know, we, we do things to help people out. I mean, you know, if you if you were doing a benefit, you know enough comedians to call and say, oh, yeah. hey, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Uh, these guys said, uh, you know, this is a great project, and and just so you know who they are. This guy was on 24 or whatever. Oh, oh yeah, I know. You know, people knew. And you know there were a lot of fans of the show, so they had a, had that reference. But but probably even if I hadn't been on it, it, it it's just a, a there's a more of a community there than there is in L.A. How much footage did you compile of these interviews? Because was it a lot? Oh man, we had well we we have what 50, 60 actors, right? Uh, we and we talked to them for an hour, hour and a half a piece. Uh, the first cut of the movie was almost three hours long, and we ended up with eighty minutes. So. Yeah, we had a lot of footage. It must be hard for you just to look at all that footage, and there's probably so many nuggets in there that are just great. Yeah. But then you're sitting there going, I can't use 60 hours. I mean, th- is there any is there any things you had to get rid of that you were like, oh, oh, oh man, oh, yeah. I really wanted that? hours of stuff we had to get rid of. And and in fact, on the on the special edition DVD, there's a there's a whole DVD devoted to the longer stories we couldn't use, because um, we wanted we also had to keep it moving. We had to, you know. I think in terms of uh, a pace and and uh, and it's just talking heads. There's no B-roll, so 
because um, it's a testimonial. And we, we just decided that we couldn't cut away from these people who were giving us their their hearts. Uh, we, we'd rather watch them. I mean, if somebody's telling a story about their deepest fear or, you know, a, a, an experience that moved them, if you cut away to the to the inside of a room, everybody knows what a room looks like. Right. You know, uh, and, and plus, if you take a camera into an audition, people are guarded. They're not going to be themselves. They're going to they're going to be on their best behavior or they're it's going to be start to be scripted. You know, it's going to become reality, which isn't reality at all. Right. I know. <laughs> So we didn't, we just decided not to do that, and and I and I think it works that way. It's a, it's a great story. Now I want to talk about Twenty Four because you were you were getting a lot of work. You were working guest stars and stuff like that. So you're you're a working actor, and then now how did Twenty Four come about? Because it was you came on the fourth season, I believe. Yeah, middle of the fourth. And so it was it was a popular show, yeah. and I'm guess a lot of people were after that role. I'm guessing. I saw a lot of people I knew in the room when I went. Yeah. So, so was it was it one of those things where every was it was like the buzz, like someone said this well, role, or was it, no. it was supposed to be a one-off, right? It was supposed to be just well, like, they didn't know. Okay. They didn't know where it was going to go. Uh, it, it happened very quickly. Uh, there was a change over there that they didn't anticipate, and they had to shift gears. And um, so they didn't really know. It was it was the, you know they do two episodes at a time, or they did two episodes at a time. So when you were hired, you were hired for two um so that was it that's all anybody knew and they were just going to check out the person they were checking me out and and you know when you're hired over there you know that i mean you're basically you're signing with the contractors you're signing your your death warrant you know because you know you're going to die it's just a matter of time and and i i got fortunate to, to last 60 something episodes so that must be amazing because I, I hear this happens a lot it's just you go going for you don't know how long it's going to be and so now how you do the first two episodes. Yeah. And then now does someone say, okay, we want you to stay. Or how do you find out? Did your agent say, okay, they're going to oh, be no, two more a, episodes. Oh, no, that's a great story, actually. It was, it was very interesting. You know, you did, uh, I did, oh, what, the last 13, I guess, of the season? Two two at a time. I mean, literally. Yeah, well, well yeah, you got the offer for two more. You got the offer for two more. And and uh, at the, at the, um, rap party at, at, uh, at John Cassar's house, executive producer, director. Um, I was sitting there with Joel Cernow and we were, you know, just talking about what a great time it was. And I was thanking him and he said, you know, uh, we really loved your work. We're going to have you back next season for all episodes produced at the party. And so I, I was, I was hoping in, in, in my deepest recesses of my soul that this would happen but you never dare speak it or you know and and i was very moved by that and i you know i gave him a hug i said thank you and i went back to sit with my wife and as i was telling her i started to get you know a little misty because because it meant a lot to me it was a great family a great set to be on and and uh i loved doing the character and as I was talking to my wife and telling her this, and tears were sort of forming in my eyes because it was life changing. Right, you know? of course. And and uh, the hostess uh, walked up, John's wife, and and uh, uh, and and saw my face and and just was just about to ask me how I was doing and <laughs> I was enjoying the party. And I said, <laughs> and I just looked at her with tears in my eyes. I said, "What a beautiful party!" <laughs> so I hope I, you know, Christina, I hope I made you feel good about your party. So, so. You get the season. Now, how does your life change? Because that was such a popular show. And I always say, the 24 fans are sort of like, you know, when you talk to people who watch sci-fi, they're really devout fans. There's someone, I yeah. mean, they eat that stuff up. Like, I I knew Louis Lombardi was on. He was on the first yeah. few seasons. And Louis oh, yeah. said, people, you know, well, they hated him from The Sopranos. Like, ah, yeah, 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 jerk. But then they said, they see him, they go, oh, we loved you. And he just said, people just really embraced him. How does that change? Because I, I knew you were, you were a working actor and you had a career, mm-hmm. and now so, you're something of a career. But you, but you, yeah, you, you know, drips and drabs. But I, I was making a living. Yeah, and now you're on a show that's just giant. I mean, how does that feel? I mean, does do people start recognize you? How do people start? Or how does reactions start to change for you? To people, the way people react yeah. to you. Well, I was on a series before twenty years ago with uh, Space Above and Beyond. Right. Yeah. So, so there was a little bit of a taste of that with the, in terms of, you know, you're on TV. You come into people's houses when they're having dinner. They feel like they know you and can invite you to their house for dinner. Right. I mean, literally. And so when you get that invitation, you go, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know, but thanks. Uh, 
you know, strangers, right? So you got a little taste of that, but it, but you have to remember. I think it's important to remember, and it's hard for people to remember that it's it's just another job, and all that stuff that comes with it is is um, is is hopefully going to just lead to another job, and it's just something that you do for a living, and 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 you have to keep your head screwed on. I think that's what happens to a lot of young actors when they start to get famous, is that they, it, because it's a very seductive uh, thing. You know, you start to believe what people say about you, and you get you get distracted from the work by that stuff, and it's really not, and it has nothing to do with the work. So you have to really keep drawing yourself back to the work. You know, what's the work about? Now, you did this, this the, the middle of the fourth, and you picked up for the next full season. Yeah. Now, when did you find out you picked up for the next season? And was it, I mean, were you expecting it? Were you sitting there going, okay? Or did you sit there and you were still on the I, top? I expected it then. They were talking about, you know, for the sixth year, sixth, sixth day. Um, but for the seventh day, toward, as season six started to roll down, um, I started to get indication that I wasn't going to be asked back. And, and, and they weren't, but they weren't going to uh, kill me. So I didn't, you know, and then finally when it came down to it, they said, you know, we're going to, we're going to go a different way. We love you. Thank you. Uh, however it went down. I forget. I, I, you know, I was, I was, I was disappointed, but yeah, you know, that's the way it goes. It must be hard just because as you said, it's like almost, almost like a family. I it mean, was a family. Sit, and you have the crew and you know the crew. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like the grips, you know, they're fun guys and stuff like that. It and it's, be- it's job security. I mean, no, no, no doubt about it. That, that came into play. And, now- and so... Go ahead. No, no. Well, they, so the the season ended, and they didn't renew my contract. Then I got a call. Uh, I was on vacation up in, uh, on the Central Coast with my family and got a call from Howard Gordon, and he, he said, you know, we were sitting around talking about this character we were going to bring in, and, it, you know, yeah. and somebody said, you know, it's, he's, he's like Bill Buchanan. And then somebody looked at me, and, and, and I said to them, why don't we just... If it's like Bill Buchanan, why don't we just have Bill Buchanan do the part? Right. <laughs> so they called me, and uh, I said, "Well, that makes perfect sense to me." And and uh, so we we did uh, the first half of the next season. See that works. See that's good. Yeah. So why why replace? It's always thing. Why replace something if it's not broken? You know what I mean? It's like they, if they're probably bringing someone in that's like you. It's like yeah, yeah. People know you. They don't. And that's like I I had a uh, Reed Diamond on, and when he did a uh, homicide, he took John Polito's character his character completely different characters but people were pissed because they're like wait a second you know it's like when louis lombardi died on 24 people yeah. were pissed sure for you it's like they know your character they like your character and then all of a sudden you're going to be going there bringing another guy who's like you and you know the people who are watching yeah. and go he's just like because why yeah. is it there you know that's the thing too my my friend glenn morgan who uh uh one of my dearest friends who was the producer of uh, uh space above and beyond and and, and the new x-files coming back uh, with chris carter um, I did Those Who Kill with him, with uh, Chloe, 70. And he uh, he said, you know, people sit around and talk about who to kill just to shake things up. And you go, well, wait a minute. The Sopranos. Look at the Sopranos, he said, for for instance. Those are people who are kind of despicable. And yet you start to fall in love with them. And pretty soon you go, well, you know, that's why people are watching the show. They're watching the show for those characters. You know, Big Pussy and... And, and, and all those guys that are, you know, n- not very nice guys. Yeah, Buscemi's character was awful. Yeah. And they start to sort of become, that's, that's a, it's, you know, it becomes a family, an extended family. And you tune in, tune in. like I, I watched Ray Donovan. I love that show. Oh, God. But I, man, those characters, I mean, you know, they're just like the, like Voight's character. He's wonderful in the show, but man, he's a, well, oh my God. We, we always say, me, me and my girlfriend always sit there and we laugh because I always do my Ray Donovan. Because like, he always does a dance, but he is so awful. But the, the funny thing is, he's he's such a good actor that you watch him and you feel dirty. Yeah. Because you sit there and you, you, you want bad stuff to happen to him. But then that's like, I don't know if you saw Bloodlines, but it was on Netflix. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah. Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah. God, you hate him. But then when but you I finally- But I haven't finished watching it, so okay, don't, don't but tell no, me. Whenever you want to like him- Yeah. He's just, you sure. find out he's just a jerk. Yeah, and yeah. That's and why, you, get, you get gravitated. That's why you that. end up tuning in. Right, I mean the writing is good. Breaking Bad, come on, the premise of that, the, you know, they 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 make math. Right, but you you start to fall in love with these people. Well, I always say Don Draper. He was he yeah. was an alcoholic womanizer who had a uh, who yeah. was a, a a fraud, a a total fraud. Yeah, but you still go, hey, you like the guy. That's right. And so he said, you know, that the kill the whole killing thing, meh, it's 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 an easy 
way to shake things up. Uh, and, and and but it's flawed thinking, I think, because because I watched the, you know, between me and you and everybody who's, who's listening to this, I watched the next season of Twenty Four, and they and they could have brought Bill back for you know three four episodes, and it would have made it would have made the fans happy to see him, you know, I mean just in that brief time, because that you know, it, it, it was part of their family was missing, you know. Now how did after Twenty Four after you left Twenty Four, how did your career change? Because as you see, you constantly worked, you've been a lot of series. Did people all of a sudden, even though you've been in a business for a long time, you know, in stage and everything, were people all of a sudden and people like, oh well, did you get did you get a lot more meetings? Did you get a lot of offers? I mean, how, yeah. did, how did that change? And yeah, you, I, I got some offers and, but, and, and more meetings, but at the same time, you know, there were the people who I just met with a casting director the other day, and I, and I said, it's been so long since. How long has it been? And she said, thirty years. Because I had one of my first auditions. Uh, you know, who knows if I was even sober. And and it didn't make a good impression, and that, that was a lasting one. And she said, you know, but you know, you you you're wonderful. And I said, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've I've been wonderful for a while, right? <laughs> I mean, come on, thirty years, hello. Now, now, I mean, yeah, it's it's now now what uh what kind of roles are do you get called for now? Like, is there a certain is there a certain I mean, because like in Revenge, you're the the gray haired man, you know, yeah. it's like. But it's funny is your agent was right because your career started taking strides as you as got my hair turned white. Yeah. And that, that's cool. But now, now, what, um, now what are some of the, like, when you sit there, what roles do you expect to get called out? Like, when you sit there and go, you're, you're going you're gonna to go out or you meet a casting director, what roles do you usually think it's going to be? Do you know before? Yeah, yeah. If I, if I, you know, I usually expect to get the, the general, the, uh, you know, who's kind of twisted or did something bad or, or the, 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 the uh, patrician, the senator. You know, in the suit, the 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 detective, you know, head of detectives. Uh, what do you, you like know. playing best? I mean, do you like the villain? I mean, if if someone said, okay, we're ba- we're doing a series, and you can pick the character, and the whole character is going to revolve around you, what kind of character would you want to be? Well, it would be a flawed, uh, a flawed sort of psycho, but but there's a reason for the the the, the psychosis, that, you know, for the. Uh, the, the pathology. There's actually a, a a reason for it, rather than just being evil for the sake of being evil, uh, as a plot, you know, device. Because that's not interesting. You know, it's just it's it's gratuitous. Now I got to ask you. You said earlier you, you ended up picking 20 years away from the guitar. You ended up picking it up. Yeah. When when did you decide to pick it up, and what made you pick it up again? My wife was pregnant with my son, uh, 17 years ago, and uh, you know I started. I just want, you know, I think I have some music in me still that never had a chance to come out. And so I started playing uh, for him, and that was great fun. And then I met, uh, when I was on 24, I met a teacher, Richard Peacock, a wonderful guitar player teacher, who, uh, after about our sixth lesson or so, said, Do you, have you ever written a song? And I said, yeah. And he said, why don't you bring a couple in, you know? So I did. So I laid him down for him, and and uh, he said, "Yeah, you should do more of this. You know, these, these, these you've got a talent for this. These are these are good songs." And so I did, and I and I've written, you know, now about 50 songs. Some are still in process, but uh, enough for you know a couple albums, and I play around some. Now, what's the whole process when you record an album? Is it do you, do you get uh, other musicians, or have you learned to play everything, or and how do you find those? I mean, how do you do that? Um, you know, through I, I got I, I taught yo I teach yoga and I was teaching at uh, Center for Yoga, so I had a, a bunch of drummers who would come in and play for me. Sometimes six drummers at a time for my class, and they're all working, you know, musicians, uh, working uh, drummers. And they, and when I started to uh, put put musicians together, they started recommending people and and uh, you know who do you who do you know who have you played with. And uh, never could re- record in a in a, enough of a studio to actually play live, so we'd have to you know track everybody. But uh, that's how it worked. Now, when the fascination in yoga start? I mean, when was that? Has that always been? I mean, what part was? It seems like now. I mean, I've, you've been doing yoga for a long time. It seems like now, like yoga is like the in thing. It's like you know since high school. Yeah. yeah. So, but how, when did, how did you get into yoga? I mean, because it's such a, I mean, you know. We didn't really hear about yoga 20 years ago. You didn't. I mean, it wasn't something people talked about. You've been doing it since high school. Yeah. I mean, how did you end up finding yoga? I, I found it. Uh, I, you know, I, I had a friend whose brother was a yogi, and and he would 
come in and out of town and he would, you know, long flowing hair and he would tell us about these exercises that he would do and and they were wild. I mean, they were the, the, the cleansing, yoga cleansing things, kriyas. And, uh, you know, you put a uh, uh, string in your nose and, you know, take it out your mouth and, and you know, you know, just these tales of, uh, of weirdness, it's, it sounded like. And, and, and so it was intriguing. And I, and I started to, at the time, there was the Richard Hittleman's 28-day yoga plan, which was, you know, the first sort of Western, Western commercialization of, uh, of yoga. Okay. But at the time, you know, and this was in Alaska, so I wasn't anywhere near uh, the person who eventually became my teacher, Ganga White, who founded the Center for Yoga, would bring Iyengar and, and Patabi Joyce and all these, you know, uh, yogis from India, uh, great teachers in. But I wasn't anywhere near that sort of thing, so I had to rely on on the PBS, you know, half-hour yoga thing. But or I would buy a book and 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 go through all the poses in my room and you know the balance poses and strength poses and because I was an athlete, uh, it it intrigued me. And uh, and it wasn't and, and of course in, in in most acting schools you always have a yoga class. You know, you learn how to breathe and you know. But it wasn't until I uh, my son was very young and I I, I just uh, had a a really awful experience in the theater and I and I had to find something to to ground me you know that I really started to get deep and I met a great teacher and he ref, he referred me uh, to to Ganga White and Tracy Rich at the White Lotus Foundation and, and and I just you know they I became a teacher it was I think it was a natural progression you know are you a good teacher because I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you this why because I, I took yoga at, yeah. a while back at my the gym I belong to and I said you know what said because my girlfriend always goes you don't have a core you have to build the core you know and i was like and I, i'd been in the hospital like a year and a half before and i had a heart problem and I, I was getting better i was getting very healthy and i went and i took the class and the teacher like i mean i was looking for a beginner class and this was like they said the most beginner class but the teacher never really explained anything i mean when you when you have a, when you probably have more advanced people but is it i mean I mean, how do you sit there and teach someone? Because most people who come in for yoga for the first few times yeah. have no idea. I mean, right. I didn't know what the, this position was. You don't know. Right. Um, yeah, I do explain. I probably, to a fault, explain. And I've had to, you know, temper my explanation with my, my actual. Uh, but in answer to your first question is, yeah, I am a good teacher. Because I, I teach who shows up. I mean, you know, I teach, I know that there's a difference between a beginner, and I sense that, or I or and or I ask them, I can tell right away, or and somebody who's experienced, and I can teach them both what they need at the same time. Uh, I don't teach the beginner at the level that I would teach the more advanced student, and I think, you know, I think that's the probably the fault of a lot of teachers. But I've been told that I need to probably talk less. You know, as, as you can tell, I I, I enjoy talking. Well, no, but that's but you sh- that's what you want from a teacher. I mean, I you know it's like anything. You know, I think of my best teachers in high school. They're the teachers that talked. You know, and they yeah. sat there and they because the whole thing about teaching is conveying something. And if you don't convey it, like right. if you don't convey it, oh, there's you're there's not a da- well, there's a danger in in you're right. There's a danger in in not ex- uh, explaining what you're teaching uh, fully enough. And, and in yoga, something like yoga, people can get hurt. You know, so. Um, that's the danger there, but but um, I think the way to, to do that is like anything else. You find what's in the, what what the person is in the person to connect, so they can connect to it per, uh, personally, and help them discover for themselves what they they need rather than tell them. So that's the gift of the of, of teachers that I've most admired, is that they help you uh, discover for yourself what it is they're trying to teach you. Rather than just being told, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. what it should be. So now, now with the uh, with the theater, and I know you, we say you got back to the guitar, you're playing the guitar again. Yeah, you've been you've been doing the yoga, you've been acting a lot on TV. Are you are you are you starting to do theater again, or is that something you want to do, or where is your? Oh, so I'm always doing. It. I mean, so you're still doing theater. Yeah, in fact, I just did a a live radio production of Judgment at Nuremberg. Okay. Uh, at L.A. Theater Works. Uh, whom I've worked with, with uh, Susan Lohenberg over there for 30 years. Um, and I toured last year with um, with her, with her company, in um, in the heat of the night. So a couple of great roles. I did the uh, the judge, Judge Haywood, in uh, Nuremberg, 
which was the Spencer Tracy part. So and 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 they're both meaningful stories, right. uh, you know, about things that I care about, uh, you know, justice and, and and equality and race, you know, racial uh, uh, issues. Is it hard for you to get back that acting, theater acting muscle? Because as you said, when you when you do TV, it's this it's a, a lot different of a day. I mean, you know, you go into set when you're when you're doing theater acting, it's a lot more shows and you're doing a lot. And it's like it's almost a discipline. Does that come easily to you or do you sit there and you have to prepare more now because you've been doing TV a lot? I think, you know, every everything has its own demands on you physically. Um, it, it's like, you know, if you're going to play a round of golf and you haven't walked 18 in a while, you have to walk a few to get in shape for it. So in the rehearsal process for a play, it takes you about a week to you know, for your diaphragm to wake up, you know, if you're going to be a singer and you're going to go out on tour, you, you know, you rehearse for a couple of weeks right. to get in shape for that, doing that two hour show, you know, so it's the same, it's the same thing. You, you adjust. Okay. Now also, well, the movie you directed, the documentary, or do you plan to direct more? Is that something, an avenue you want to go down or is it something that you had fun doing that or is it something? No, I'd like to direct more. Yeah. Is there, I mean, are you to want to do more documentaries? I mean, what no. kind of, no, okay. Oh, no. That's just a lot of. Well, yeah, that was just a that was a passion. That was a, uh, you know, you know that they say there are reasons to do things for your soul, for your pocketbook, or or for your career, and that was a soul thing. So, I had to express that, and and, and it's, it's funny because, very rarely in your in your life as an actor, do you get to walk away from something going, you know what? If I had one thing that represents who I am as a person, that would be it. Um, you know, I guess people who write uh, books or people who write songs can do that with a song, or you know. But as a as an actor, and 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 I made this film as an actor more than a film, you know, a filmmaker. Um, it sort of combines the 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 way I feel about life and 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 the way I feel about my my craft as an actor in one uh, statement. So that's why I did that. Just to, to, to say what I felt about life in that medium, you know. Now, what's coming up in the acting forefront? What can we see in the near future? Um, I'm, you know, I'm between things. I'm, and I'm, you know, turning stuff down and I'm staying home and I'm not really doing anything right now. I just did this, you know, week-long gig for LA Theater Works. But um, some things in the, in the works, uh, you know, as they always are, sort of. What makes you want to turn something down? Is it just a project you're not interested in? Is it something you you, you want some me time now? I mean, what makes some because you know you're getting offered. I mean, what makes you turn something down? Is it just something that you don't you're not interested in, or how yeah, do you do that, that? that's usually the case. Isn't that yeah. weird though? You think it's so funny because I always sit there too. It's like you know you think about you know the actor and you know people want to work and then you see people who have a quality of work and you have a quality of work and you have to turn down stuff sometimes. I think even though it's work because if if you don't like it, you're not going to do a good job. You know, no is the only real power you have. And, and when you get to the point where you can say no to something, and also, it's a such a strange business that 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 really, in a lot of ways, no that is all they respect. I mean, and plus, you just finally you just go, you know, I, I don't, I have enough money in the bank right now. I don't need to do that crap. Right, exactly. It's, it's and, a, because it's, most of it is crap. That must that must be because you've been involved in a lot of good projects. That's must sort of like that must bother you sometimes when you sit there and you get an offer and you're like. Oh, I mean, it's it's something that it must it must stink when you look at something that you just don't like and you're like, I love acting, I love you know this, and I this is just awful. Yeah, you know that that happens rarely. the 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 real thing is that you 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 know you're, you you would I rather be working all the time? Yeah, sure. But but you know if you've been there and done that and you and you're you know you've done the Walker Texas Ranger sort of thing, and you, and you just go, you know what? I don't I don't have to do that again. I don't have to do that thing that, that is the only film I've ever done that I wish I'd never done, and this is like that. Right. I don't have to do that. <laughs> I did that. Been there, done that sort of thing, you know. Um, and, and it's not really fair to say that. No, no, it is. There's a lot of crap. Right. I mean, I have to say anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said that, and I went, wait a minute. Are you, 
No, but but you know it's true. It's true. It's yeah. not. It's not. And people know that. We we're, we're, we got to wrap up. Soon. Yeah. I got to ask you. Uh, I, I went onto your Twitter page. You're an active Twitter. You tweet a lot. Yeah. I'm sitting like because I mean I tweet jokes every few hours. You yeah, tweet dude, a lot. That's what happens when you're out of work. But I mean, so I mean, no, but you you, you, you get <laughs> it's a, kind you, of a you hobby. Get, you get political on Twitter. I do. Yeah. And now do you now did you do you get trolls who are arguing? Oh my with you? god! Yeah. Man. Now how do you how do you respond to him i know I, you probably know nick seriously and he just yeah he says his, oh i block nick yeah but his because he's said his something with his trolls well he just goes he, you know and listen there are trolls on either side of the the issue right i mean the the whether you're a liberal conservative whatever you are they all there are trolls everywhere. Oh, and, everywhere and i and i object to them all and i don't troll people and i don't respond negatively to trolls um i don't respond in kind you know i, I try to be kind to them or, or block them because there's no use trying to, you know, you can't argue with them. No, because they know everything. And and also, why why do you want to? Why do you want to? You know, I'm poking the hornet's nest enough without without you know, picking a fight, you know, with somebody. They, they want to pick a fight. Yeah, I, I always say it's funny. I, I one time I did something. I I wrote a joke and I sent it to a Philadelphia sports uh, now a big sports guy I know and the one morning guy. And it was just a useless. It was a useless joke, you know. It was just yeah. so stupid about a drink. Not, it sounded like the guy's name, whatever. Yeah. Nothing. Just funny. Just something. Came and a guy does that. A guy sits there and goes, "Well, that's stupid. You know, yeah. you must be stupid. That's a stupid joke." And I was like, "Dude, it's a joke." Yeah. And he's like, "Oh." And then he go off. And then then you sit there and go, "Wait a second. It's like you have this much time." Then you look and the guy has like 18 followers, and you go, "Is that what you do? You just sit there and yeah. follow that, people?" Yeah, that's what they do. People aren't following you, and it's just weird. That's what they do, and and, and so you know, I speak uh, I speak about things that that uh, mean something to me on a on a deeper level than you know. I mean, I sp- I speak to hypocrisy and I speak to uh, equality, and um, and I feel like I'm on the right side of history, and 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 that my heart's in the right place, and that and that's important to me. So if somebody ha- takes an issue with that, it's not me they're taking issue with. It's right. it's something that, that that they're really hurting. They've been hurt. Now, and they're expressing that. Now, did, have you watched the uh, debates at all? Oh yeah. Now, I I just I I don't know if I that's where I do my fun tweeting. Yeah. Because it's just so funny. I can't. You know, I don't do that. I don't I don't live tweet during that stuff. Oh, I but, I did just because it's just it's amazing when I watch them. I go, it's just it, it it's fast it fascinates me. Yeah. And first of all, it fascinates me that someone. I'm sorry, you know, you're, if you're like the bottom four, as I said, that's like the kids' table Thanksgiving. Yeah, is, you know, yeah. it's like, why are you even? I mean, it's just amazing how many candidates. And what makes me more amazing is the election. You would think it's next week. It's over a year off, and it's just getting pounded oh, into us now. Oh, people are going to be so tired of this. I'm just, I can't take it. I'm anymore. already tired of it. I mean, it's like Saturday Night Live. Hillary Clinton was on, and my one friend said, she goes, she goes, I'm as liberal as they get, and I love Hillary, but she goes, if they're shoving this down my throat all year, yeah, I'm not watching it. But you know, it's become such a big money deal. I know. Um, that's what's going to happen. So now how often do you tweet? You know, so, you know, if I'm busy, I don't, I mean, I, I, you know, but if I'm, if I'm not working and I'm sitting there writing or I'll take a break and, you know, I don't know. Uh, uh I don't know how many day, you mean how many a day? Yeah. A lot. Like every, I mean, you tweet a lot. I mean, you tweet a lot. I do. Yeah. What's your Twitter handle? What's your Twitter handle? Uh, what is it? I don't know. James P. Morrison. It's James P. Morrison. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, we've got to wrap up. I want to thank you for coming on. This oh, is thanks, man. Now, now we got to say, people, you got to check out his website. It's jpmorrison.com, and he's got everything. I mean, it has it breaks down those music. Even, he even puts his uh, lyrics. You put the lyrics. The lyrics music, are there. Which is there's, cool. There, there's some, I do some little blogging. There's some, uh, you know, thoughts there. A little more than 140 characters. So. See, I love the fact that you put the lyrics, because when I was a kid, getting the album and reading the lyrics yeah. is the best part. Oh, me too. And even now, I'll sit there and I'll go, and that's one good thing about the internet. I can type in, like, it's a song. I can't think of it right off bat. I don't have an album. I can type in such and such lyrics, and it's there. So follow him, people. Definitely follow him. Go to and also go to jpmorrison.com, and he has a store. I didn't look in your store, but you have to sell it's, stuff. It's the albums. And so buy them. Yeah. And I want to thank you for coming on. Thanks, Steve. And uh, people, follow me on Twitter. That's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. There's over 425 episodes up there where you can also email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. Tell me who you'd like to see. You know, I'm here. See. I mean, like to hear, I always try to get people, I look around, you know, I watch TV and I see something, I go, I want them on my show, and I hit them up. So hit me up. Also go to iTunes or Stitcher, it's Cooper Talk, and uh, also if you have a Google, the Google Play Store, I have an app, Cooper Talk, uh, just go in, it's a free app, you can hear all my shows on your phone, which makes it easy, because you travel, because, you know, you can't hear me on the radio, but just put it on your car and car phone and drive. So that's about it. Uh, also, don't forget my other website, StopTheSalt.com. Remember when I went through that heart problem? 
I wrote the cookbook. You got to buy the cookbook. It's 120 recipes. They're very easy. It's cooking for one. No pictures to intimidate you because we all get we all get freaked out when we see a picture and we go, I can't cook something like that. No long list of the ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. None of these recipes have cumin. They're broken down into four sections, 120 recipes. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com or you can get it at stopthesalt.com where you get two things. Me, happy because I make more money. And two, I'll sign it for you. So go buy that and just, you know, keep following the show. And that's about it. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.